Hello and welcome to The Wound Doctors, a podcast series dedicated to the study and improved treatment of wounds. These episodes are brought to you by Convitec, pioneering trusted medical solutions to improve the lives they touch. Rod Murray's my name and my role on this podcast is to do this introduction bit and then ask stupid questions. So having completed phase one of my job, let me hand over to my co-host and much cleverer colleague, Dr. Francis Henshaw. Dr. Fran, what wonders await us in the world of wounds on this episode? Well, Rod, the other week I was out and about as I as I tend as you to often do are, yes. for my job, and I happened across Elsie Murray. Good morning, Elsie. Morning, Fran. Hello, Elsie. And Elsie is a nurse practitioner, and she works in this really interesting space right at the coalface of health. And her job is actually um, at looking at people with chronic diseases, and chronic diseases really encompass a lot of things, not just wounds, and how to keep them out of hospital. So Elsie, how on earth did you get into this job? And was it created for you, or did you walk into somebody else's shoes? I walked into somebody else's shoes, so... My background is I've worked, most of my career has been in out-of-hospital care, so I'm really interested in delivering care out-of-hospital. There is a place, obviously, for acute care, and then there is a place that we can, if when we can safely deliver care in the community. So I stepped into this role with a background of a bit of palliative care, acute care earlier in my career, and aged care um, as a registered nurse and as a manager in aged care, then as a nurse practitioner in aged care as well. Ah, so this is really interesting. You've got this um, role that kind of sets between keeping people out of acute care in hospital and your background as um, a person in aged care would, would really help to understand both sides of the equation. And the thing that really intrigues me here, because I'm a bit potty about the future, and um, and I actually think that in the future... You won't be going to hospital for every little thing that you do at the moment. All these vast outpatients clinics that cause massive problems with parking and things like that don't necessarily need to occur in hospitals. Would you agree, Rod? Oh, I don't know. I'm not an expert, but you'd hope that'd be the case. It seems sensible. too. what I wanted to ask, Elsie. Elsie, you were at pains to point out before we started recording that you're not a wound expert. What percentage of the work that you're doing in that chronic disease area would involve wounds? Is it a tiny little amount or is it a lot? How serious are wounds in the work you do? It is a lot. Um, I I don't know percentage-wise that we have actually um, have a definite number because sometimes that person would have a wound and probably we are seeing them for a UTI or pneumonia as well. So we haven't really portioned it out, but there's such a huge burden of wounds in the clients that um, we look after in this service. And Fran, would that be a fairly common and typical experience, do you think, that that Elsie, who was, as I said, at pains, and she clearly knows lots about wounds, but is not a wound expert. How many wounds are being cared for by people who aren't wound experts? And is there what's the what are their issues around that, if there are any? Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, wound expertise is not really, I mean, you can do a master's of wounds or something like that, but you can actually become very proficient in wounds as a registered nurse or an enrolled nurse or, or you know, um, so it's not it's not like being a consultant or a surgeon or something like that. There's kind of degrees of um, specialty. So I went out to a place in uh, another state where they were delivering community care to people in their homes and 40% of their clients had a wound. So I think it's quite probably generalizable. This wasn't a really odd population in the middle of nowhere or in the middle of a city. It, It encompassed a large area. So I think, and what Elsie says is true, that a lot of the time people might be 
seen for their wound, but they might also be seen for something else. So this makes it very hard to measure things because often it's not all recorded. What gets written down for yeah. what you came in for is not the wound, even exactly. though the wound might be problematic. Elsie, no. uh, I imagine you've learned a lot about wounds in this role. Is that true? What sorts of things? And from your perspective, we talk a lot about uh, on here about wounds not being seen as a priority or sexy very often in the health industry. Would you agree with that? And, and, and what's been your experience with wounds? Oh, I completely agree that it, it's it's not usually seen as a priority, but it's it can be a multi-organ affecting illness when mm. somebody has a, a a wound. Because if you don't look after the wound properly, you don't provide the right care. You, in my role for hospital avoidance, for example, you end up with multiple infections with risk for sepsis or risk for amputations. And so this is where the interface crosses with hospital avoidance, where if we can manage the wound in context of multimorbidity, it, it can be multi-organ affecting if we don't look after it properly. And in, and I'm sure you're very good at your role and you keep lots of people out of hospital, but among those who hospital avoidance uh, isn't the ultimate outcome, what percentage of those, or not an exact figure, but what would be your sense of how many of those where a wound has led to the need for hospitalisation rather than one of the other conditions that they might have been getting treated for? I would say we can ballpark it upwards of, of 50% wow. of them. So that's a huge number. Crikey, that is really high. So do you interact a lot with people who are in residential aged care facilities? That's my bread and butter. So my our hospital avoidance service is specifically for people residing in aged care homes. Um, and we are consulted, as I said, for different things and among those uh, are wounds. So uh, that, that is our bread and butter, residential aged care homes. Okay. So let me just try and simplify this in my mind because I am, Good you know, a bear, simple. a bear of little brain. <laughs> um, so if, for example, I am um, Mary the nurse at the aged care facility and my patient Betty has got this nasty venous leg ulcer and it looks like it's gone all red and and um, it's got a lot worse. She gives you a call. What ha- What do you do? So when we get the call, usually we ask for images as well. Um, the reason being we cover such a wide demographic in the area where I work. So we want to make sure we are going out for phones that do need to be reviewed because sometimes we can give advice over the phone or do a letter and send it out. So we get a, a, an image. And so we see from Nurse Mary that this is a nasty venous wound that requires um, a face-to-face consult. So I would look in their hospital records first to say what is the history, are they known to vascular, who has been involved. That way we don't re-refer things without actually getting the story of where we are. Because sometimes it might be a wound that has been present for six years. And so we are now just sort of um, maintaining, um, trying and preventing infections, um, exudent management and pain management. That way we are not going guns blazing, starting all over again, things that we've already been told that they're not going to heal. So I would make a face-to-face visit, assess. Um, If it's something that I can manage within my scope, then I would make recommendations. 
And if there are any other referrals that might be needed, if it's a new wound and maybe we do need to have vascular studies or we need a vascular referral or I need to escalate to a wound specialist nurse practitioner because I have um, two colleagues who work with me that work within the same services me that I can escalate to if it's something that I feel like is not within my scope. And then we can make a shared decision and then make recommendations as appropriate. We've talked often, Fran, about uh, early involvement, early diagnosis leading to much better results. Elsie's right at the front line. Uh, Elsie and her co-workers, do they have enough information and knowledge about wounds to be able to make some of those early calls? And I imagine Elsie's learnt lots and lots on the job, and I'll ask her about that same question shortly. But how important is that just having the frontline people nurses and others know when a wound might need to be yeah, looked at by well, somebody with more expertise. Elsie, Elsie made a couple of really good points. One was about shared decision making and that's take, taking all the stakeholders who've got each a piece of the puzzle. And I think that Elsie's in a very helpful position where she can look at people's hospital records and things like that, which people in the aged care facility might not have oversight of. And you know, I've I've seen this happen where somebody has bounced around from to different services and everyone's suggesting different things and there's no coordination of care. So it's like a community nurse is saying do this, the GP's saying do that, the vascular surgeon's saying something else, then a plastic surgeon gets his mitts on the patient and says a different thing. And it's not very helpful. And you know, there's lots of ways to skin a cat and I think it's important to realise that there isn't just one pathway to look after a wound but what you do need is a very decisive pathway that everybody is on board. And, the and same wound the same way. Exactly, <laughs> with everyone's bit of information. So if you've got something from a vascular surgeon that you can add in to someone from infectious diseases, you've got a really nice um, piece of information there that will help to direct your um, treatment plan. So I think this is where this fits so nicely in keeping people out of hospital because they don't have to go to hospital <laughs> to have their record looked at. Yeah, better outcome for the patient. Also, I ask you the same question. Are yourself and others uh, on the front lines, do you know, are you taught enough or is there enough information about wounds to be able to make decisions about when to get others involved in those kinds of things? That early detection is so important. I sit in a very privileged position where when I joined the service, the nurse practitioner who was working in the service prior to me is a, a, a specialist wound uh-huh. nurse practitioner. So I worked alongside her for one year. And also, I have attended lots of education. I attend education offered by the health district, um, wound care um, product providers, because they often have very, very um, highly experienced wound care nurse, practitioner present, nurse practitioners present and podiatrists, vascular surgeons. Mm-hmm. I attend seminars. I attend conferences. I have been very intentional in building my capacity and my nurse practitioner portfolio in the wound sector, not as an expert, but having, I would say, intermediate um, knowledge that I need to know what I can do, but also recognizing what I can't do and when to escalate and who to escalate, as friends said, so that we're not having these multiple referrals to different people. I do the comprehensive assessment and know which pathway or which person I need to talk for which problem. Did your interest in wounds already exist or did you uh, start this multiple education of yourself that you've talked about because you were seeing so much in the people you were dealing with in terms of wounds that you felt it was important to know more about that? 
My interest started when I was working in aged care because one of the things in the facility where I worked as a clinical manager, we I always made sure that we had zero or very minimal facility acquired pressure injuries, for example, or skin tears, because I know the the cost and the the cost financially and cost to the resident or to the client of having a, a chronic wound. So it stems from that, that I always wanted to do preventative care. And whenever we received a, someone already with a wound or a wound develops because of other etiologies like diabetes or vascular problems, I always wanted to make sure, even though when I didn't have the knowledge that I have now, that we got in early we got in the best products, the best advice. So then when I joined the service where I'm now in a broader sector where I'm, I'm well, not personally responsible, but I'm in a team where we look after residents with complex issues in about 42 facilities, then I knew that I needed to upskill myself. I needed to know more about wounds because I'm now seeing wounds that I had never seen before and complexities that I had not experienced before. We're very lucky, aren't we, Fran? I listened to Elsie talk and so many of the guests we've had on this podcast, just through their own ambition and motivation, have been driven to go and learn more about wounds. It's not sort of built into the system per se, but my goodness, we call people like Elsie nurses. We're really understanding the importance and the complexity of what they do, aren't we? Absolutely. And also, you know, the amount of cost saving that you could attach to Elsie would probably be massive. You know, I'm sure that they don't pay Elsie anything like <laughs> the amount of money that she saves them. And I think that it's really important that we have these people who are very committed yeah. to, you know, bridging these gaps that we see in the health system. More a calling than a job, I feel. Exactly. And Elsie, what I'd like to ask you, because um, whilst we don't bang on about wound dressings much at all in this podcast, um, obviously, um, when you're trying to heal a wound, there's lots and lots of different things that need to be controlled and need to be modified and looked at. But one of the things that is fundamental is you need to put a dressing on top of the wound. Do you find that there's a lot of variability um, out there in aged care? And, and um, what's your experience of people's use of wound dressings? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you asked me that question. Yes, there is a lot of variability. Some of the barriers we have for this service in the work, what we do is that we have facilities that are supposedly locked into contracts with wound care providers, which is one of my pet peeves, because I'm not in the business of selling any products. I don't work for a wound um, provider company. I don't have a preference over one over the other. But we're just wanting to make sure that we use the right products for the right etiology. And so sometimes we have facilities that have a formulary and they are forcing me or whoever is in my team to say, you need to, to prescribe from this formulary. Because there's no one wound care provider that carries everything, first of all. And sometimes it's so limited that for a highly exudating wound, you are asking me to use products that are not designed for highly exudating wounds, for example. And so that is a major barrier because then the consult becomes a tick box to say we have consulted with someone when you know, when you knew from the onset that you're not going to take on the the recommendation. So that is quite disappointing because at the end of those decisions, we have to remember there's a human being. 
Yeah. yeah, I think that is one of those things that you said is a pet peeve of yours. And even though I work for a wound care company, it's a pet peeve of mine when I see people who are placed, uh, facilities that are placed into these restrictive formularies. It's certainly not something that um, Convertec does. Um, because I don't think, as you as you say, there is one wound care company that can look after every wound. And it is, at the end of the day, about um, getting the right outcome for the patient. And, you know, our, our tagline at Convertech is forever caring. Well, I don't think you can be forever caring if you're saying, well, you can't put that on That's a wound because we don't make it. <laughs> forever caring as long as you right. use Convertech. <laughs> when you don't, we stop caring. That would be that is an issue, though, isn't it, Farron? We've talked about this. Well, it's a much bigger issue than what we're talking about here today, Elsie. But a, a health system based on these financial sort of incentives, I don't know what the answer is, but there's issues around that, isn't there? Absolutely. And we bang on about this all the time about um, – cost over value, that using something that's low cost is often not very good at um, providing value. And and we did this uh, reference case in aged care um, where someone was having their dressing changed every day, which was causing them an awful lot of pain, taking an awful lot of time. And we changed their products to something that was managing their exudate and their wound features better. And we worked out that even if this um, ulcer didn't heal, it would save uh, $16,000 to the facility in terms of nursing time and products. And the products was not where much of the money was saved. It was actually the fact that they're only having to do it twice a week. That's exactly right. And, you know, of course, that's, it's not like uh, nurses don't have other things to do if they can save they're time. They're pretty on busy, I must say. In a nurse, in an aged care facility, yeah, these people are really, you know, rushed off their feet. Yeah, indeed. Elsie, how are we going in terms of keeping people out of hospital and what are the advantages? They seem obvious to a layperson, but what are some of the things I perhaps haven't thought about that a hospital stay does for and to a patient that you'd prefer not to see? Um, We... We have a large cohort of people who have, in in addition to wounds and other things, a large cohort of people with living with dementia. And so a hospital transfer can be quite traumatic to a person living with dementia because usually let's say they are presenting with a with a with an infectious wound but they are not really systemically unwell. So they are triaged quite low based on 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 the international or national triaging system. So then they are in the emergency department on a stretcher on their back, um, which is creating pressure by itself for a long time. And they are in an unfamiliar environment, unfamiliar carers, and, and that can increase their confusion. And then they get in the hospital because these people are quite complex, most of them. And then once you do blood work and other things, you start, well, let's fix this, let's fix that. And sometimes the real reason why they went in the hospital is then superseded by other things that were found by the blood work, which we already knew in the community, which is where sometimes then someone gets discharged with a nasty wound and a pacemaker and a new pacemaker because when they got there, they focused on the cardiac issues and then they come out with the same wound unaddressed because the focus became a cardiac issue. So this is why we prefer when safe to do so that we are in the community, we prioritize things that we that we need to prioritize and the things that we re- we already know or we have had conversations about with the family that probably a pacemaker is not what's needed what we just need to do is to manage this wound or manage this chronic health problem um is is, is more of a priority so those 
are the things that we think are, are an advantage to keep people at home when safe to do so. Like if somebody needs a blood transfusion or they fractured a hip, they do need to go yes, to the hospital because we don't hang blood in, in, in nursing homes. But in other things that are exacerbations of chronic problems that we're already aware of, we would really prefer that we do this in a familiar environment. And if you ask the older people themselves, those who are in a position to make their own decisions, anecdotally, it's overwhelming that they want to stay in their HK home, if possible, and we bring care to the HK home instead of them going to the hospital. Uh, absolutely. And hands, it's, hands up everyone who wants to go to hospital. Oh, I'm not seeing any yeah, hands, even though it's nobody seeing any hands. And I, I remember when I was working as a podiatrist, this was quite a common occurrence, is that people who had a nasty foot ulcer or something would go to hospital for quite a long time. And because they're in such a controlled environment, they would um, be able to be um, fed the appropriate food and all that kind of stuff. And their blood glucose would go down so then they would reduce their diabetes medication then of mm-hmm. course they'd go back home to their old habits and suddenly didn't have they enough have that care. they didn't have that amount of medication anymore and their blood glucose went through the roof so it is very different um the environment of a hospital to another environment and even people with dementia who are wanderers i mean they can be very well cared for in an aged care facility but in a hospital ward they're just not equipped for that kind of um of, of a person. And then you get into some things. Are we getting better at keeping people out of hospital, Elsie? Are you doing your job well? I'm <laughs> <laughs> In this district, we 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 are trying. I think we we are getting there. However, as we all know, there are other multifactorial issues that surround the decision to send someone to the hospital when we put in different facilities of different protocols or policies and procedures, barriers. As Fran was saying earlier, that the staffing is different as well. They are run off their feet in more in some places than others. So it's really variable to... to um, to, to, to make a generalized statement about it. And that is why I'm doing research in that area as well, to find the other underlying issues that influence um, a decision to send someone to the hospital. That's, um, yes, it's a complex issue, no doubt. Fran, I want to go back to the beginning. I wasn't prepared for your question when you asked about, you know, will we see people going off to hospitals? What were you getting at there? You don't think we'll be attending hospitals as much. What do you, what do you say, what, what does the future look like in that case? It feels like the medical industry, for want of a better term, It's going to change a lot over the next 20 years. Oh, I reckon it will change before 20 years, actually, Rod. Um, I think that you have to look into the future, right? And at the moment, the healthcare system is really not coping so well. You know, we don't have enough nurses. Nurses are leaving the profession. We don't have enough doctors. And going forward, we're going to have this aged population, which is going to have uh, more comorbidities, more illness, more and needs. probably more needs, and probably live for longer with them. So, I think at the same time we see this shift in technology, being able to make decisions for people using AI. I mean, there's some great stuff, you know, where um, things like artificial intelligence can read scans, probably as well as a person. So, I think that you can actually. T- um, maybe move away from this model where the hospital is like the church where everybody goes. Centralised, isn't it? And, you know, we can monitor people from their home. We can um, look at things, pictures on cameras. We can have consults, uh, um, South Sydney 
sorry, Sydney um, LHD has just launched this wound task force that has its whole online wound um, clinic. So if they can do it for wounds, why can't they do it for lots of other things? And, you know, if somebody's had their blood taken and they need to talk to their diabetes doctor, they don't necessarily need to be sitting in a room with them. So I think that hospitals will be for, you know, more procedural things. And um, I think a lot of the medical um, things will be overseen by technicians who are helping machines to make clinical decisions and um, that's only my personal sure. view but I can't see how we can keep doing what we're doing um, with when we look at the population going one way and the healthcare workforce going the other well, Not to mention hospitals themselves, they keep growing don't they, but that's a slow process, it's like traffic lanes you can yeah. never keep up the more you open the more you need exactly and when you're <laughs> trying to take kids. you know betty who's got dementia to a 600 bed hospital and you know even the parking's not any good oh. there that's that's a massive mm-hmm. you know difficult horrible thing for an old person and could be quite frightening for them so why can't we just you know um decentralize this care and um use the technology that's on its way what do you think, Elsa? You mentioned technology earlier when Fran outlined her fictitious case and what you were doing. The first thing you said was you'd ask for some images. That wouldn't have been possible even 20 years ago. Now it's a given, isn't it? What do you see? Is Fran on the right track, do you think? And this, is, I would imagine, would be very much in your area of interest, this notion of stopping hospitals become this centralised system with lots of people who probably don't need to be there. Oh, yeah. Fran is, is absolutely right. And we, as she rightly said, that less than 20 years, we saw a massive use of more technology during COVID when we had COVID outbreaks in nursing homes because business as, u- as usual didn't stop because of COVID. Oh. People were still sick, wounds still wounds still needed to be assessed, recommendations to be made. So that's why we started using it even we started using that model even more where we ask for images and we are now wanting to promote video calls even more with um, a telehealth using videos and, and being at the bedside, the RN is at the bedside, I'm on the screen with them. Because as um, a friend said, we are moving away from the hospital being the gold standard of care. It is the gold standard of care when you need acute care, but it's not the gold standard of care when you need monitoring of um chronic diseases because the care in the emergency department is exactly that emergency. So if there is no emergency on a wound that has been there for three years, that is not the place to look after it. It's the, the, the place to look after it is in the community, in the comfort of someone's home. And of course there's health um, implications no, for the patient themselves. If you're happier and more comfortable at home, then your wound has got to have a better chance of healing than if you're if you're miserable and depressed in hospital and hating every moment of it, surely. Absolutely. And that's why I think this um, whole sector that um, Elsie works in is so worthwhile. Mm. I mean, it, it truly is worth its weight in gold, as is Elsie. And I have to tell you something, Rod. Not only does Elsie go around helping all these people stay out of hospital, but she's also on the side, I say on the side, doing a PhD about these kind of issues. And as that, you would. That shows <laughs> such a level of dedication, I think. And that's someone who's not just getting up in the morning and doing a job. That's somebody who's actually interested in um you know having a paradigm shift in health outcomes and you know we really need boots on the ground like that and um that's why i was so interested to get help elsie sure. 
onto the show. Yeah, for sure. And Elsie, we can we, we we applaud yourself and all of those like you, and we meet them constantly on this show, don't we? we and do. I never realised not being in any way involved with the health industry, except when I got sick. Just what a dedicated and committed bunch of people, which raises an interesting question. One of the things Fran said there, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Elsie, earlier was we have nurses leaving the workforce. It's not the work that's sort of driving nurses away from the profession, is it? It's the amount of work and the situations that they find themselves working under, these pressures at hospitals. It's not the patients or dealing with the issues. That's the good stuff. It's the it's the pressures of the workplace, I suspect. Am I right about that? Yes, you're absolutely right, especially in HK. We have seen, and, and that's something that's on the media in every way, where we, we, we get news from, we are finding that there are more regulations, and I can't comment whether we need that many regulations or not. That, that That's a different conversation. But the reality is the paperwork that is required now for, for on a day-to-day in an HK facility, the vigilance, the reporting of, of incidents, and then we have wound care, we have insulin checks, we have essays, we have doctor visits, we have phone calls from family members checking on their checking on their loved ones. Something has to give. Yeah. And so we are also finding a lot of burnout, a lot of psychological injuries, a lot of other complexities in that that you know, I've had the lived experience of working as a registered nurse, looking after 135 people by myself. Wow. Um, so have many other registered nurses prior to me stepping into the role of the nurse practitioner. In a facility, I could be the only RN with 135 people plus. So I, I know I, the, the, the reality of it back then. And now with the added pressure of all this paperwork and all this reporting, it's very complex. So, yes, we are seeing that level of burnout in 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 the industry. Yeah, compliance has a cost in both finance and in, term, in, in other ways as well, doesn't it? It has a human cost as well. Yeah, look, I don't want to um, finish this podcast on a, on a low note. And I think that, you know, despite the system being imperfect and, you know, some people actually getting to the end of their tether, there is this real hope on the horizon that there's people like Elsie that these people in aged care can actually call on when they're in a crisis. And they're not just having to make this decision of, do I do this by myself or do I send them to hospital? There's this middle ground now. And that is so important. So Elsie, thank you so much for coming along today out of your busy day and um, taking the time to tell us about your important service. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for highlighting HK as a specialty. Um, There are a lot of people, I agree with you, we have a lot, a lot of nurses, registered nurses, AINs, EANs, who are dedicated to the care of the older person and they all wake up um, to go and do the right thing despite the challenges. So I think it's about my your invitation and my presence here is about representation as well. I'm not officially representing them, but that, that there are a lot of people in this space who are dedicated to ensure we get the best outcomes for the older person. You're doing more than representing Elsie. You're working at the coalface, making it happen. And for that, we congratulate you and we thank you. As Fran said, thank you for your time. And Dr. Fran, always terrific to have you along. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ron. And that's it for this episode. We will be back, of course, to do it all again next time here on The Wound Doctors. <laughs>